will soar with you above the storm. Father, you are king over the flood. I will be still and know you are God. Find rest, my soul, in Christ
The mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. Surround Good evening. We welcome you uh, tonight to the Hartsville Church of Christ. For those of you who are online, we um, certainly welcome you as well. Take your Bible and turn to 2 Kings chapter 3. 2 Kings chapter 3, and we'll uh, get into that in just a moment. As we do each and every Wednesday night, we um, take our newsletter and we briefly uh, go through it. Also, there's a skeleton outline back on the table back there of um, our class tonight. There are no blanks. It's just a, a rough outline of what we'll be covering in 2 Kings chapter 3 tonight. But you do get a newsletter, and let's go on the inside of uh, the newsletter on the left side. Uh, there's a list of those who are sick. All that information is correct. And we certainly want to keep all of these folks in our prayer, especially uh, Brother Bobby Johnson and Danny Payne and Tim Iwan and all of them, and Danny Lots on there and Pete Holly. We want to continue to remember them. Oh, we're glad that Danny's here tonight and that things are going well for him. On the inside of our newsletter, uh, Keith Wildman's mom passed away. And we know that they've been going through a difficult time. And uh, let's pray and encourage and do all that we can for, for them. And there's the information about the funeral and everything in the bulletin. And then if you want to go on the family retreat this spring, there's going to be a meeting uh, this Sunday. And there's the information about that. Uh, Monday night will be our M&M, our Monday in ministry. And our cards are up here. If you would like to uh, sign up, uh, do so. You can do that after class tonight and come and participate. We always have a wonderful meal together. And then um, we will be uh, working on our ministries. If you are going to deliver meals, uh, be here at 5 o'clock uh, to get those meals so we can get them delivered. We'll be eating together at 6. Uh, as you work your way down on Super Sunday, Sunday week, things are going to be a little different. We will not eat after church on the Super Sunday. We'll come back at 4 o'clock, and we'll have a, a fish fry, and then after that, we'll have a devotion. And then uh, the nursery workers. We're always needing nursery workers. We also are blessed to have uh, some new members. They may not be new to some of you. They've been worshiping with us for a while. Linda and Lindsay 
Albal, Lily, and Emma, and also David and Elaine Bradburn. And uh, contact information will be in, uh, on our webpage at the church uh, directory. Heritage Christian University annual dinner, February the 21st. See Tim Tanksley. Uh, Child Haven supplies. We're going to start collecting ch uh, supplies for Child Haven again. The boxes will be out in the common area in the next week or two. And then also, let's see, on the, there's some thank you notes, and please read those thank you notes. On the right side, on the inside, the Adopt-A-Cop items are due Sunday, January the 22nd. Read that. The Secret Sisters, 2023. Read that information. And then the List for Children's Bible Hour for this year is available in the Commons area. Uh, please sign that as well. All right, let's have a word of prayer for our sick. And then we'll get into our lesson. Father, what a blessing it is that um, we have you. Blessing it is that you always listen. And you're always concerned about us. And tonight we bring some folks before you that we love and appreciate. We pray for Danny. We pray he'll continue to recover from his surgery. And we pray for healing that he'll be home soon. We pray for Brother Johnson. We appreciate him and love him and his family so very, very much. And we just pray that you'll strengthen his body. And we pray for healing there. For Tim Mylon, we pray that his surgery on his foot will help him and that he'll be free of the pain that he's been experiencing for some time. For Pete Holly, for Danny Lott, we ask that you be with them and you bless them. Father, be with us in our study tonight. We're thankful for the great prophets like Elisha. We're thankful for these wonderful stories and so many lessons we can gain. We pray you bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Welcome to Bible study. And in Bible study, we have a Bible and so your Bible should be open to 2 Kings chapter 3 as we continue a third lesson in our series on the great prophet Elisha. And this will be a 9 or 10 lesson series. And I think through these 9 and 10 lessons, you'll get the gist of this great prophet. Last week in our lesson, we looked at probably the first two miracles or two early miracles that Elisha did. We have discussed that you have a lot of these uh, miracles just going on and on and on, and we'll see one tonight in the life of Elisha. We've pointed out that the basic message of all of these miracles is that if you respect God, you respect His Word, and you respect His messenger, you will be what? Blessed. And if you don't respect God, and you don't respect His Word, and you don't respect His messenger, you will be cursed. And we saw that in the two miracles that we studied last week. Remember, uh, Elisha was at Jericho after Elijah had been caught up in a whirlwind. And he was still there in Jericho with those prophets. And there, there was water that had become bitter. And there was the miracle of purifying that water. 
And then from there, he moved on up to Bethel. And in Bethel, there was an unusual thing, is there was this mob of young people, remember? And uh, they were uh, chasing him and uh, calling him baldy and doing some other things and saying some other things they shouldn't have. And remember, there were some two bears that came out and mauled 42 of these young people. We saw that miracle. Now, when we ended up in 2 Kings, the last verse said he went to Mount Carmel, and we'll find out that Mount Carmel became the place where he sort of relaxed, that great place where Elijah had defeated the prophets of Baal. Well, he leaves from Mount Carmel, and he goes to Samaria. And we pointed that out to you uh, last week, but let's sort, of, let's sort of see, let's get the picture here. Tonight, the lesson is three cheers for Elisha. You'll find out in just a moment. There's our map, and we see now Samaria in the big black circle. And remember I told you last week that Samaria would become Elisha's home. Also, I pointed out to you that this was the capital of the northern kingdom, Israel. And this is why that Elisha, as we pointed out in our introductory lesson, will become sort of involved in the government. And we'll see that even tonight in the miracle that we'll read about in this chapter. That Elisha becomes involved in twine, something that Elijah did not. Elijah being more uh, of a recluse. Now, our lesson tonight is, I guess, I know, I hate saying this, but you read these guys and they'll say minor miracle and major miracle. To me, any miracle is major, okay? I mean, anything that's against the natural laws of nature is amazing. But I guess if you want to do that with Elisha, that's fine. You can have a few small miracles. And, but this one tonight, to me, is a major miracle. And what we're going to see in our study is that Elisha saves three kings and their armies. And I think from this, we can learn, I think there's several lessons, but I hope one big lesson we can learn from our study tonight. I might point out to you, just for those of you who are into this stuff, that Elisha's ministry involved these four kings of the northern kingdom. It began with Jehoram, and it will end uh, with uh, Joash. Uh, it begins in the early reigns of Jehoram. Remember, Jehoram uh, is one of the sons of Ahab. Remember, Ahab, Ahaziah, his son, became king and lasted only two years. And he didn't have any children, so the next son in line, which would be <clears throat> Jehoram, became king. And this is when Elisha begins his ministry. Let me point out also something to you before we get into the text that I didn't point out in the first lesson or two. And that is that when you look at Elisha's life, it's interesting in that it's not chronological. You look at Elijah's life and you see it just in a chronological order. But with Elisha, that's not the case. You're all over the place. And so sometimes you have to do a lot of figuring about where you are in the time and the life of Elisha. Let me give you an example or two. I'll give you two examples. 
Here's the first one. In chapter 5 of 2 Kings, you'll read about Gehazi. Now, this is his Elisha's servant. Gehazi became a leper. And then three chapters later, you read about him standing before the king. Well, if you take that chronological order, that wouldn't be possible because leprosy you could not cure in that day and time. So that's, that would be out of whack. Let me show you one other example. There are several others. In chapter 13 and verse 13, Joash dies. And you know what you have? You read it for yourself. You read in verses 14 through 19, right after it says Joash dies, it says Joash visits Elisha. So that's the thing you sort of have to keep in mind as you read through the, the life of the prophet of Elisha. But that doesn't matter all that much. That's not what is important as far as the story of his life is concerned. What we're going to see tonight is God was able to work through Elisha to deal with the established authorities, unlike he did with Elijah. God used Elisha to save his people. Now with that in mind, let's get into our story. We've got 27 verses we want to cover. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to just sort of think about you at a movie, all right? I want you to get into this tonight. If you get into it, it gets exciting, okay? I get excited about these kind of stories. Some of you will drift off into la-la land if you don't get excited with me, all right? Imagine you got some popcorn, okay? Imagine you got your Coke. It's the cheap popcorn. It's the cheap Coke, okay? And, and you're ready to watch Top Gun, all right? Elisha, the Top Gun Elisha. And this is a tremendous, amazing story that we read here. Now, if you'll sort of get that mindset and get ready and just sort of follow along with us, I think it'll excite you as we get into this story and maybe we'll walk out of here with a lesson or two. Now, with that in mind, all right, you got your popcorn, you got your Cokes, you got all that stuff. Okay, now you got your outline. And the first thing we're going to see as we begin in 2 Kings chapter 3 is we're going to see the situation. We've already pointed out that Ahaziah only reigned, the son of Ahab, for two years. And now Jehoram is king. We find this mentioned for us in 2 Kings 1 verse 17. So Ahaziah died according to the word of the Lord which Elijah had spoken. Because he had no son, Jehoram became king in his place. Now watch this. In the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat. What's interesting here is, at the same time that Jehoram is king of the northern kingdom, you have Jehoram, who is also another Jehoram, that's a co-king with his father for Judah. And so it's interesting, you got two Jehorams as king at this particular time. All right, notice now as we get into our text, verses 1 through verse 3. Let's get into the movie. Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel at Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Now Jehoshaphat is the father of Jehoram of the kingdom of Judah. Okay, Jehoshaphat and Jehoram were co-leaders and reigned 12 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, Jehoram did, but not like his father and mother. 
For he put away the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam. Remember, that's the first king of the northern kingdom. You remember, he brought in the idols and put idols in Dan and Bethel. Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin, he did not depart from them. Well, this is a text that we've looked at before, just briefly. Notice the problem was that he put away the sacred pillar of Baal. That was good. Jehoram came in and he paid away, but he didn't destroy it. He just paid away. It was good that he got rid of it, but he was still following in the uh, shoes of Jeroboam. Notice now verse 27 of Acts, uh, 2 Kings chapter 10. Then they broke down the... This is Jehu. It is Jehu that will really get rid of Baal. And they broke down the sacred pillar of Baal and tore down the temple of Baal and made it a refuse dump to this day. All right? Notice in verse 2 of what we just read. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. What happened? Because he kept worshiping idols in Dan and in Bethel. So, let's break down the situation here in our story. And the first thing we see in verses 4 through verse 5 is that there is a problem in the land. What is the problem? Notice verse 4. Now, Misha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder. And he regularly paid the king of Israel 100,000 lambs. That's a lot of lambs, isn't it? And the wool of 100,000 rams. Moab had been subdued by David. And ever since David had subdued them, they paid these tributes or these taxes. And this had been going on for quite some time. And so here you have Misha, the king of Moab, and this is what they're paying. They have been subdued uh, by Israel, and they are paying this fee. Now let's read on, verse 5. But it happened when Ahab died that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. Uh Uh-oh. Ahaziah has had that brief reign, remember, for two years. Anytime you've got a transfer of power, you've got a weak time there. We could give examples today in, in our history, and the same thing was true back in that day and time. And apparently it seems that Misha, the king of Moab, says, wait a minute, hey, hey, this is the time to get out of this. I'm not paying these sheep and all this wool anymore. Ahaziah has had a a, a weak reign, and this is the time to get out of it. So I am not paying that stuff anymore. Well, let's uh, let's read on. Now we read verses 6 through verse 7. So King Jehoram went out of Samaria at that time and mustered all of Israel. Jehoram says, you're not going to do that. No way. Nuh-uh. You're going to pay And this is how he's going to take care of the situation. Then he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, now that's interesting, they're divided. But he goes to the king of Judah. 
saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I will go up. Isn't that amazing? Here they are divided, and they fight among themselves. But now the king of Judah says, I will go up. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Now, this is not the only time uh, the king of Judah would join hands with Ahab on another situation in another time. But I find it very interesting, don't you? But here they are, they can't stay together as one nation, but boy, they are able to band together. Uh, it was, it seems like, that maybe Moab, from some other records we have, that Moab had already fought against the king of Judah. Maybe that's the reason that he, uh, he wanted to go and join horses. But they joined forces now. We're going to go. We're going to straighten these Moabites out. Now, let's see the plan. All right? How are they going to do this? Verses 8 through 9. Then he said, Which way shall we go up? And he answered, by way of the wilderness of Edom. Now, Jehoshaphat says to Jehoram, how are we going to do this? And he says, we're going to go by the way of Edom. Now let's talk about that for a moment. When you look at the map here, you will see that over to the right is Moab and here is Edom. There are two ways to get to Moab, to take care of Moab. You could go on the northern side across the Jordan and come down, but apparently, maybe it was more reinforced over the northern side. I really don't know why, but apparently they, they thought this is not the right way to go through the north side. So they said, we'll go down to Edom. Now, there might be another reason here with Edom. You see, the Edom, Edomites were subdued by the, uh, the kingdom of Judah. Judah had the Edomites. And so they knew they wouldn't get any opposition if they came down this way. This is a much longer circular way. But also, wait a minute, since the Edomites are you know, subdued by Judah, then, hey, we could get the Edomites. We'll make the Edomites fight with us. And so they decide that's the way we'll do it, and we'll come over, and we'll come in on the southern border in order to take care of Moab. So you got two kings king of Israel, the king of Judah. And now notice what happens in the first part of verse 9. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. And they marched on that roundabout route seven days. And here are the three kings. And here are the three armies that uh, are going together. Uh, it seems that Things are going as planned. But they're in the wilderness of Edom. And folks, the wilderness is the wilderness. And what we find next is there's a predicament that comes. You've got these three kings. They're going down. And by the way, notice there's no petitioning God. None whatsoever. I'm getting God's assistance and God's help and God's advice in this. They take it on their own. I think that, come, that does come into play. So let's look at this predicament now as we began with the last part of verse 9. There was no water for the army nor for the animals that followed them. Hmm. Now apparently it seems that there were some rivers 
that uh, usually had fresh water down in that particular part, the southern part, uh, on past the Dead Sea. But apparently, they had dried. Now, this is about 100 miles, 100 miles of wilderness. I mean, you just sort of picture these, these three kings with their three armies, and now this dependable river or rivers is not there. I read this, and I know it varies with different people, but I read this, that a person can live for about three minutes without air. I know some, I've seen some that can go longer than that. A person can live about three days without water, and a person can live three weeks without food. The point I want to make is, is that these three kings with their three armies they're facing death. They're facing destruction before even one drop of blood is shed to straighten the Moabites out. Now, watch what happens. Verse 10. And the king of Israel, Jehoram, said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. What? The Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. What's he doing here? What's Jehoram saying? Hmm? He's blaming God, isn't he? Yes. He's blaming God. He said, God has brought it. Because there, there's no water? God, is, God has done this. Now, does that, make, does that sound familiar? I mean, here, here's the big lesson I hope we take from this tonight uh, of all the things we could take, and that's this lesson. That is that so many times in life we start out and we never ask God's guidance, we never ask God's help in our life, and we just head out. And then when things go south and things go bad, what do we do? What do we find people doing? Blaming God. Blaming God. It seems like it's just human nature that. Here, what well, I just want you to see here. They assumed in this verse here, they assumed that the Lord approved of them being in the hands of the Moabites. They assumed that. He didn't. They assumed the Lord was responsible for the plan. He wasn't. It was their plan. They assumed the Lord did this to destroy them. Now, I looked at those three assumptions there, and here's what I see. I see that's what happens so many times to people in life. When they take off on their own and they do their own thing and whatever, never ask God's guidance or help, and then they, they, you know, they fall on bad times. And these are the same things that happen with these same people. They think the Lord has approved of the bad stuff that's happened to them in their life. They think they'll come to, if they keep lingering on that, they'll think the Lord is responsible for the bad things in their life, and they'll think the Lord is out to take care of them and destroy them because maybe it's some horrible, terrible thing that they had done. That's so human nature there. Here are the facts. The Lord is not consulted, right? He's not consulted. That's what happens to us. We don't consult him. The plan was devised by Jehoram, not God. The Lord would deliver them, thank goodness. Thank goodness there was a prophet in town that would, uh, would deliver them. 
In fact, that leads us to the next thing on your outline. <sighs> Top Gun shows up, okay? Here's the prophet. And we see what happens now in verses 11 and 12. Verse 11. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord? This is the king of Israel. Here that we may inquire of the Lord by him. So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Japheth, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. Uh, no king, not the king of Judah or the king of Israel or the king of Edom, knew that there was a servant of God who could help them. It took a servant to point that out to them. Now, we don't know why Elijah was present. It is assumed, you know, we've talked about how Elijah, unlike Elisha, uh, uh, Elisha, unlike Elijah, intermingled and was mixed. And it seems like that Elisha is with them in this battle. We don't know how he got into it and why he was there, but he, it seems that he is with these three kings and he's with these three armies. And so the servant says, what about Elisha? Verse 12, and Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. And Jehoshaphat remembers, oh, wait a minute, I know him. Maybe he heard about him because of Elijah. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. These three kings humbled themselves. Now notice it says they went down to him. That's interesting to me. They didn't say that we're the kings. Elisha, you come up here and talk to us. Uh-uh. Well, they're hurting. And so they go down. I picture my mind this, okay? You know, you just imagine this scene. Here's this, here's this <clears throat> tiller of the soil, okay? And here are these three kings and all their might. He has no armor, he has no weapons, he has no military skills whatsoever. And they come and they say, You gotta help us. You gotta help us. All right, let's look at the solution. That's the situation. Bad situation. And then we'll look at the solution. There is a rebuke. <laughs> watch, watch what Elijah, Elisha does here. Boy, he lets, he lets, you know, he's got a backbone. We, we pointed that out. Even though he's more of a, a prophet of mercy, boy, he has a backbone. He lets Jehoshaphat, I'm telling you, uh, I mean, Jehoram have it. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father, Ahab, and the prophets of your mother, Jezebel. See, Baal, remember, we talked about this with Elijah, was the god of nature. And this is why, you know, there was the drought, and they called, they asked the, the prophets of Baal to call on Baal because he should have been able to bring the water, and he couldn't. And he says, <clears throat> then Elisha said to him, what if I do that? Go to the prophets of your father. Why don't you go to Baal? Baal's the god of nature. Go to him. Ask him for the water that you need. That's what happens so many times in life with us. We go to the wrong gods. 
In America today, we're going to the God of science, we're going to the God of education, and we're going to the God of technology. And God looks down at us and says, why don't you go to these gods when you get in problems, you have troubles in your life, you need healing, you need help, why don't you go to these gods? Well, that's what Elisha was doing. Now, notice the vast part of verse 13. But the king of Israel said to him, no, the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Well, it's the same accusation that uh, we read a few moments ago. Let's add verse 14 to this. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives, before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat wasn't perfect. Remember, he's the king of Judah. He wasn't perfect. But he wasn't encouraging and endorsing idolatry as was those in the northern kingdom. So he says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to help you guys out because of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. I would not look at you nor see you. Wow. Is that telling it um, like it is? Mm, mm -mm. I don't know. Maybe some of this had to do because Jehoshaphat was a descendant of David. Maybe that had connection. Well, let's look at this request now and see what happens in the first part of verse 15. But now, get this. Okay, they've come and they've asked Elisha, you gotta help us, you gotta help us. And he says, I'm gonna do it, but it's just for Jehoshaphat. That's the only reason I'm doing it. The only reason I'm doing it. And then Elisha says, bring me a musician. Why do you think he does that? He thoughts? Well, I don't know. I mean, we, we don't know. Uh, we say that music what? Calms the savage beast. And I know that a lot of us, well, we want to calm down a little bit. We listen to music, don't we? Now, some of that music, I don't say I don't know you'd calm down to, but there's certain, you know, you get you a good eagle song going. You can calm down, you know. Um... Uh, so maybe that's what's going on here. Maybe that's what's going on. Maybe he says, i got to calm down here. I am so frustrated with these people. They didn't ask God. He said, bring me a musician. All right. Now notice a requirement. The last part of verse 15 through 17. It happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain. Yet the valley shall be filled with water, so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. You know what God's solution was? We're going to dig some holes. We're going to fill those holes with water. Notice it says they had cattle with them. Well, that's how, in that day and time when you were an army, that's how you carried your food with you. You took your cows with you and you killed them and slaughtered them whenever you, you need them. And those animals probably were animals of burden as well. But he says, you go out and dig some hose. Now that's strange. <laughs> that doesn't sound like, why don't you just bring some rain, Lord? We don't. 
First part of verse 18. And this is a simple matter. I love this statement. This is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord, Elisha says. Wow. I mean, you picture a cracked earth, a scorching sun, parched plants, and swirling dust. And you need some rain. And Elisha says, ah, this is nothing to God. This is nothing. Nothing whatsoever. Notice what happens now. He will also deliver the Moabites in your hand. Elisha says, you know, God's just going to take this one miracle and do two things. Number one, he's going to give you the water you need, and he's going to bring the Moabites into your hand. Now notice verse 19. Also you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city and shall cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. The military has a word for that. What is it? Scorched earth policy. You won't leave anything behind for the enemy. You see that statement says they ruin every good piece of land with stones. Uh, in that day and time, there were a lot of stones in that, in, in that particular area. And so they were going to farm the land. They'd gather all the stones up and they'd pile them at the end of the field. He says, when you go in, you take those stones and you put them back in the field. So they won't be able to use that field again for a while uh, to gain their food. Now watch what happens. You got it? Dig those ditches. God's going to bring you some water. When you go in, God's going to give you the victory, but man, you leave nothing. You leave nothing. Let's see the success. There's relief in verse 30. Now it happened, in verse 20, now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by way of Edom and the land was filled. And God already said, it's not going to rain. It seems what happened, happens here is this. You see, here are the mountains of Edom. And you have the big valley. And it seems like the rain was way up in the mountains. And the water came down from the mountains into the valley. And filled the ditches. It seems probably that's what happened. Back to this statement here in this verse that I find interesting. It says, now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered. I think that's important. He's referring back to Jerusalem. He's referring back to the first offering, sacrifice of the day in Jerusalem at the tabernacle there. It would be at sunrise. And I think it's interesting there's a connection here about now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered. As if there's some connection with the prayers of the priest and the offering of the priest and what God does. Now let's notice the retribution. And when all the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against them, and all were able to bear arms and older were gathered, and they stood at the border. Then they rose up early in the morning and the sun was shining in the water. And the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. 
And they said, this is blood. The kings have surely struck swords and have killed one another. Now therefore, Moab, to the spoil, to the spoil. So when they came to the camp of Israel, Israel rose up and attacked the Moabites. So they fled before them. They entered their land, killing the Moabites. When they destroyed the cities, and each man threw a stone on every good piece of land and filled it, and they stopped up all the springs of water and cut down all the good trees. The second part of God's promise was fulfilled. They thought, look, I don't know, maybe it was the sun shining on the water that had filled the ditches, and it looked reddish. But they thought, there's blood. They've killed each other. Let's go get them. And victory is ours, the Moabites thought. They got down there, Israel, where these three kings and their armies were waiting. And boom, they took care of them. Now here's the last part. The sequel to the story. There's a little sequel here that's interesting uh, to me. Uh, You look at this and Well, let's just read the first part of verse 25, or the last part of verse 25. But they left the stones of Kerhoseth, Heraseth, Heraseth intact. However, the slingers, that is, these big things that would sling boulders and any object they could find, however, the slingers surrounded and attacked it. Now, understand what's going on here you gotta this is what he's the place okay it was a very very high fortified place now this is a modern day picture and you see some of the maybe more modern day buildings on the right but over to the left there this was the place it was a stronghold it was probably the last stronghold of the Moabites and uh, here they were and they they couldn't really be too much effective with all the the slinging that was going on. And so the Moabites were being defeated, and there's this desperation in this sequel to the story. And when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too fierce for him, he took with him 700 men who drew swords to break through to the king of Edom, but they could not. Maybe he thought the king of Edom he could beat. Then he took his eldest son, who would have reigned in his place, And he offered him as a burnt offering on the wall. Things were going so bad. And the Moabites worshipped the god Chemish. And the way that you peace Chemish is that you offered animal or human sacrifices, okay? And there is failure, complete failure in the battle. He's thinking the gods are angry, and especially Chemish is angry. And maybe the only way we can appease this, and maybe the only way we can have victory is to kill my boy. The heir to the throne. And that's what he did. Now notice the disaster. Interesting passage here. There was great indignation against Israel. So they departed from him and returned to their own land. There wasn't full victory by these three kings. Yes, God said, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. But there wasn't complete and thorough victory because 
Nisha and 700 and others lived. And here's the thing about it. Moab would never, ever again pay tribute to Israel. And it seems like because there wasn't a complete, this is the sequel part of the story. Now, the commentators disagree about this statement, and there was great indignation against Israel, so they departed from him. That would be Misha. And there was great indignation against Israel. Some have said that that was uh, the wrath of the Moabites. And, and they fought stronger and they fought more against Israel. I don't know. Some say it was the reaction of the Israelites. And uh, it was that they pulled back uh, from having complete and full victory. All right. There's the story. The movie's over. Now, what did you take from this tonight? Uh, anything you grasp that you can take home with you tonight? Never leave God out of the picture. Yeah. To me, that's the major thing about it. And, and don't forget this story. Don't forget this story when in your life things are going bad and you start blaming God and you start pointing the finger at God or you hear other people blaming God and pointing the finger at God. Remember this story. And maybe remind yourself or remind other people that, you know, maybe you started in this journey without God's help. You probably did. God's assistance and guidance. And the Lord doesn't want you to die. He doesn't want you to be destroyed. God wants to help. Anything else that you get? Yeah, same thing. Yeah, same thing. But I mean, when you say the word desert and you start out without enough water, just how prepared are you and without God? So, yeah, that's a good you're not, point. You're not one of the sharper tools in the shed if you start a journey like that without proper stuff and then blame it on God, too. Yeah, Jim makes a good point there. But, you know, you're going through 100 miles of desert and uh, you start off without proper water for yourself. Of course, as I said, they were probably uh, thinking that they would have some water down from a river down there that wasn't uh, full of water. But there wasn't, they could have probably reacted. Uh, all of a sudden, the greed, you're not going to pay, and we're coming and get you, and you take off, yeah. yeah. Some interesting statements in that story, and interesting points. All right, anything else anybody else want to say? Read 2 Kings chapter 4, and next week we'll uh, get into another adventure of Elisha the prophet. We're going to ask Brother B.C., if you will, to lead us in a closing prayer.
Amen. Betty, Betty was saying thank you for all of the prayers that you played for, prayed for Danny, and we appreciate it. As I mentioned, we're glad he's here tonight. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it when it's all about you, all about you, Jesus. It's all about you, all about you. you. 